0: There are some things that we we are accustomed to hearing uh, when we come to church. Things that we're commanded to do. Things like serve one another. Uh, we're used to that. We're used to that. I think I think when, when we say serve one another, everybody nods their head. Yes. Uh, so we we need to grieve with one another. When there is one who is sad, we grieve with them. When there is one who is who is happy, we rejoice with them. These are things that we. We nod our head. These are commands that we expect from the scriptures. They're, they're things that we, we anticipate. Everybody everybody feels good about those things. Those are ways, those are expressions of love to one another that we expect, that we, that we are excited about, that we rejoice in. One that we cringe at is remove the evil person from among you. We cringe at that. If there's, if there's anything that we would rather not talk about, it is something like purging or removing or expelling. That, that seems so, how is, but, but that is an expression of love. We're going to see that today, that that is an expression of love to people when we are willing to commit ourselves to the kind of purity that God calls us to. God calls us to live in obedience to his commands. He calls us to live in a certain way, to live and love in a certain way. And and one of those ways is to remove the evil person from among us. And that's what I hope you'll see today, is that that is the way that God has, has intended for the church to maintain its purity. It is a way that God has intended for us to express love to one another. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5. And you do like we normally do where we kind of walk through it. But I want to read the, the entire chapter first so that you get a sense, you get an overall uh, uh, sense of, of really clearly right there at the front of what Paul wants them to do. Like it's, not, it's not something that requires a lot of, there are some questions that need to be answered, uh, but it's not really like vague or, or, or unclear what Paul is calling the church to do in Corinth. So read chapter 5 with me. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant ought you not rather to mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you for though absent in body i am present in spirit and as if prayers at present i have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So just reading those 13 verses, just reading chapter 5, it's really clear what Paul wants them to do. You have a man who is engaged in sexual immorality, and Paul is saying, now put them out of the church. Take that man and remove him, expel him. Remove him from the church. And it doesn't answer all the questions, but we also, I hope you already see, hey, this is the scriptures. This is, this is something that, that we, are, we are expected to obey from God's word. And so what we want to see to to answer all these questions about when and how and why and and how does this work is is let's start, let's walk through it now. And let's first look at the offense. Let's look at the offense. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Well, this man is, is engaged in sexual immorality, and it's actually, uh, he is committing incest with his father's wife, with his stepmother. And, and one of the things I think is interesting here is that, that Paul expects that the boundaries for sexual immorality that were there in God's law, that those continue to apply to Christians today. So someplace like Leviticus 18 uh, talks about how a, a man should not commit incest with his, his father's wife. It also talks about, talks about incest, talks about fornication, talks about adultery, talks about uh, bestiality, talks about homosexuality. One of the reasons why that's important for our day is that there are some so-called Christians uh, who say that those commands in the Old Testament no longer apply. Particularly in our day, because of the prevailing cultural cultural changes that are happening, that those things no longer apply to homosexuality. Even though the Old Testament uh, makes it clear, and even Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 make it clear that homosexuality is a sin. But those commands, those boundaries for sexual immorality, were part of God's eternal moral, moral law. And so they are intended to continue for us today. Paul makes that clear. But that's not what Paul is shocked at. Well, um, it is shocking that a man, would be, a, a man who called himself a Christian would be committing incest with his father's wife. But that is not what Paul is shocked at. He's shocked that the church is not doing anything about it. He says, Ought you not rather to mourn? This is not even tolerated among the pagans. Romans did not even allow this to happen. He says, are you not rather than mourn? That, that is when you have someone who is committing this kind of sin among you it, it's, it's like he is, he is supposed to be a part of your body that is has become diseased. okay when, when a part of your body hurts, when you crack a rib, when you break a bone when you when you get when you get something hurting uh, my, my boys are even telling me you know scraping up you, you, you start to get something bruised up and you start to hit it and, and you recognize that it's painful. Well, the whole body ought to be hurting. The whole body ought to be mourning. Somehow, somehow the the Corinthians had become proud of this. They were tolerating this. We don't know exactly why they were proud of it, but probably it has something to do with a misunderstanding of God's law. Paul had told them that they are no longer under God's law. And what he meant by that was they are no longer condemned by God's law, nor are they able to make themselves right before God by, by obedience to God's law. Those things are true. We are no longer condemned. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we are no longer condemned by God's law. We are no longer able, we were never able to make ourselves right before God by obedience to God's law. It's one of the things that we have to recognize before we come to Christ is that we cannot make ourselves right with God in any other way except by faith in Jesus Christ. But the Corinthians were taking not being under God's law as a removal of moral restraints. But Paul comes back and says, no, no, that's not, that's not what I, that's not what I meant. That's not what should happen. Even in just a couple of chapters, he's going to say, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. But what what is it that matters? Keeping the commandments of God. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 7, 19. He says, you, you ought to be keeping God's commands. You were born again. You were made a new creation in order to obey God's commands. So he says, he says, how, how, could you, how could you be tolerating this? Ought you not rather, you ought to be mourning. Instead, he just says it right there in verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What we're talking about here is what's called excommunication. That is, he's removed exed from the communion or the fellowship of the church. You need, to take this, you need to take this man who is committing this sexual immorality and they need to be removed from the church as a way of, uh, well, we'll see the reasons in, in a few minutes. So here are the questions that we need to kind of, kind of look at is, is what kinds of sin or when does sin lead? Uh, when does a, a person need to be removed from the church? Does every kind of sin need to result in excommunication? Uh, obviously not. Or there would be none of us here. First Peter 4.8 says, you know, love covers over a multitude of sins. Not every sin that we know what Paul says someplace like Romans 7, that that as long as as we are here in the flesh until Jesus Christ returns, there are going to be things that we don't want to do that we do and things that we want to do that we don't do. Sin is going to continue we're going to have continual victory over sin we're going to overcome sin but but we're not going to be perfectly sinless and we certainly don't start off the christian life as perfectly sinless so so we're going to be we're going to be sinning and it's not every sin that needs to be excommunicated it's not every sin that that requires that instead there are some sins that should be overlooked that is they are not not excused not condoned but we don't always re- require immediate rebuke for our sins. These are, there are things where love covers some of those things. The other, thing that, the other way that we often deal with this is that when we see a brother who is, in, who is sinning or is in a pattern of sin is that we rebuke them with the expectation that they will repent and be forgiven. That's that's, uh, Luke 17, where we see that, where we see the the person who is in sin, you rebuke them, they repent, you forgive them. That is the ordinary way that we practice church discipline in the church. That is a very common way in which we practice church discipline in the church. But there are some sins that require the church to put the man out of the church, to put that person out of the church because it requires excommunication. It requires the removal of that person. So what kinds of sins are those? Number 1, they need to be clearly sinful. They need to be clear sins. So here we are it, it's clear, hopefully it is clear to everyone here that that sexual immorality incest with your father's wife that that is that that is unchristian, that that is immoral, that is breaking God's commands. That's clear. But there are some things that Christians disagree on, that are not always perfectly clear. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, uh, Paul is going to address the matter of meat sacrifice to idols. There are some issues there that are not always immediately clear. And so think about some things that in our lives, like radar movies or secular uh, secular music or, or drinking wine. Those things are, uh, we might question the propriety of those things. We might talk to one another and, and counsel one another and encourage one another away from those things. I'm not encouraging those things. And yet those things are not, Always clearly sinful in all cases. So we're talking about things that are clear. Before we put somebody out of the church, it needs to be clearly sinful. Secondly, it should be outward. We can't judge a person's motives or a person's thoughts. Jesus makes it clear to us that that even sins in our desires and our thoughts, those things are genuinely sinful. But we're not. We cannot judge people's angry thoughts person has continually angry tirades if they if they uh, cuss people out all the time or if they get they start to yell at people then, then yes that becomes a pattern of sin that needs to be dealt with but when we're not judging people's uh, angry angry thoughts or greedy thoughts or lustful thoughts we judge their actions we look at what they do Jesus this is implied when Jesus talks about in in Matthew 18 about having two or three witnesses it needs to be something that can be observed we're not going to look at people and say, oh, you kind of have a proud look on your face. I think we're going to bring you forward to the church today. You know, that those are not the kinds of things that 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 happen, okay? It needs to be something that is outward, okay? It also needs to be something that is serious. Now, I know that, that if we t- begin to talk about serious sins, that, that all of a sudden there is this idea uh, that has a lot of truth in it that all sins are the same. I think we need to clarify that. All sins deserve God's judgment. So that's what James is talking about in James 2.10. A person who is, if fails at one point of the law is held accountable for all of it. That's also what Jesus is making clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that the Pharisees thought that only uh, as long as they were exterior, they were pure on the exterior, as long as they didn't murder anyone or commit adultery on the outside, that they were they were free and clear. They were not sinners. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that even if you are angry with a person or lustful, looking lustfully at a person, that you are liable to judgment. At the same time, saying that all sins deserve judgment is not the same thing as saying that all sins are the same. John 19, 11, Jesus says to Pilate, he says, you would have no power except that it was given to you and the one who handed me into your hands committed the greater sin." Or just a couple weeks ago, we read from Ezekiel twenty-three, and it was talking about the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was pictured as one uh, adulterous sister or or fornicating sister, uh, but the southern kingdom was even worse because they saw how God judged for the northern kingdom, but they didn't didn't change. So they uh, Ezekiel says that their corruption was greater. So we're talking about serious sins. We're talking about. The, there's a difference. Even the law recognizes this: that there are there are different penalties for different sins. There are different penalties for intentional sins versus unintentional sins. There are now there are a whole number of factors that go into any kind of case study or any kind of different situation uh, that we can't enumerate here. But we recognize that hey, this is something that needs to be serious. There's a difference between the man who is given to angry tirades and the man and the Christian man godly, sincere Christian man who says a a word that he should not say when he hit his hand with a hammer. That still is a reflection of of a sinful heart, something to be dealt with. It's not something to be excused or condoned, but it's not something that requires excommunication. It's not something that requires him being removed from the church. And the last last quality, the last characteristic is that they must be unrepentant. This is clear from Matthew 18. It walks through the steps where where you confront a man one-on-one, and then you confront him with two or three others, and then you bring him before the entire church, and he is still unrepentant for his sins. That person needs to be put out of the church. I think the understanding is, is that if at any point a person gives a trustworthy and, and uh, sincere sincerely repents for his sins, that, that that's when it stops, that we, we keep and we restore that brother, and we love that brother. But here we see these are the the kinds of offenses that require excommunication. Now, then, hopefully these kinds of cases will be rare. Hopefully, these aren't the kinds of things that we won't be mourning every week over some great, serious sin that is going on in the church. But we need to be ready to carry this out when it happens. Paul started a church in Corinth, Paul, the apostle, started a church, and there was this kind of sin in it, we ought to be aware that, hey, that kind of sin can happen in our church too. And we need to be ready to deal with it because it's important. It's something that God requires us to do. It's something that that Paul the apostle commands us to do is to take that brother who who is in unrepentant, persistent sin and remove them from the church. Now then, the second thing that we see is the reason why we need to do this. The reason, read verses three through five. It says, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul, he talks there, Paul is an apostle. He has authority over the churches. And so, having heard this report, having known what has happened, he's already pronounced judgment. If this man is, is continuing the way that he's heard, he's already said, hey, this is this is what needs to happen. There, there's no there's no judge or jury. There's, there's nothing else that needs to happen. You need to put this man out of the church. And he says, here's how it needs to happen. When you assemble, that's what we're doing this morning. We're assembled. We're gathered together. That's what a church has its idea in, the gathering of God's people together. And so when you assemble... This is what you need to do in the in the when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present and with the power of our Lord Jesus. What Paul is bringing up here is that the church, the assembly of God's people together, they have the power to do this. They have the authority to do this because Jesus has given them the power to do it. You'll flip over in your Bible to Matthew eighteen. Matthew eighteen is a. a verses 15 through 20, is the other major passage in the New Testament that talks about a pattern of church discipline. Read verses 15 through 20, especially look at verses 18 through 20. It says, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now verses 18 through 20, listen carefully. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth earth, about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I. This is Jesus speaking. There am I among them. So what Paul is picking up on there is, The power of the Lord Jesus is with you to do this. One of the things that we are hesitant to do, we are hesitant to do these kinds of things. We're hesitant to confront the man who is in sin. We're hesitant to remove the person from from among us. We don't like to do those things. But Jesus, our Lord, has said, I am there with you. When you gather together and the church judges together that that person is in unrepentant, clear, serious, outward sin, I'm with you. So do it. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. The power of the Lord Jesus is with you to do this very hard thing that I'm calling you to do. So do it. Now then, verse 5 tells us the reason why this needs to happen. You are to deliver this man to Satan. What's happening here is, man, what harsh language. What difficult language. But you know what he's saying there He's saying, I-, I want you to withdraw from this man the protection that the church gives to him. This man has not learned to sin, uh, not to sin within the church. So now he needs to, needs to learn not to sin outside of the church. You know there is there is there is blessing and protection within the body of believers. Within the body of believers, there are people who are going to care for you. There are going to be, be, be people who watch out for you. There are going to be people who rejoice with you and grieve with you. There are going to be people who are there to correct you and to rebuke you. There are people who are going to keep you from going to hell. They're going to they're going to watch out for you. They're going to they're going to watch over you. They're going to take care of you. But now then, this man, this hasn't worked. So you take this man and you remove that protection from him. It's like you think of a, uh, the image that I had in my mind is you you think of an 18-year-old son who's living at home. He's always known the care and protection of his family, all growing up. But at home, he is disobedient. He is disrespectful. He is outright rebellious. And he he is destroying the home from the inside. You know what? He gets put out into the world, which can often be cold and cruel and difficult, and he learns to appreciate, hopefully, those that care and that protection that he had at home. Well, that's the picture that we have of this faith family, of of a church. Of a church that loves one another, that cares for one another, that is there to support one another in every situation. But when this man is in unrepentant sin you take that care and that protection and you pull it back. And this is the purpose. So that their flesh will be destroyed. The flesh is that principle within within people who are rebelling against God. Is that part of, that is part of of our old man. That is our old sinful nature. That is not submitted to God's commands. That is not submissive to God. That is still in rebellion. And so what, what, what is hoped for is that that part will die. That man who is removed from the church, his flesh will be destroyed. And this is the end purpose. Ultimately, so that he can be saved in the end. He can be saved in the end so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You know what? This is how we do to others what we would want them to do to us. Put you out of the church. Remove you from the church. Expel you from the church. That doesn't sound like the golden rule. But let me ask you this. Would you rather the church deal with you and put you out so that your soul might be saved? Or would you rather go to hell? It's a hard hard and painful kind of love. It's a hard and painful kind of love to show. It is an expression of love. It is the desire to see you saved. And I just want you to think, consider that there might be many people in the church now who are still in the misery of their sins because the church has been unwilling to discipline those who are in it. There might even be people who would otherwise have come to know the Lord except the church was just not willing to do the hard thing and love the hard way. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love not in a sentimental, not in a a sappy, always always happy kind of way. We want to rejoice when we rejoice. We're rejoicing this morning over, over three new brothers and sisters who are now a part of us. They're a part of our church. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We rejoice with every we rejoice when any sinner repents, the same way that the Father rejoices. We also love you. And that means we're willing to put you out. To remove the, the barrier of protection. We're willing to put you out there where Satan will have power over you to teach you not to sin, to destroy the flesh. Let's be willing to do that in obedience to God's commands. Next, we see the sacrifice. Look at verses 6 through 8. The sacrifice. It says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I have some words there that we might not always all be familiar with, the whole idea of leaven. And, and hopefully I won't mess this up for our resident uh, bread makers here, but but the, the leaven there, that's the, that's the old, the old piece of starter dough. Old piece of fermented starter dough that you you keep along from the last batch and you move it into the new batch. And that little piece of leaven, it can leaven a whole lot of bread. And so what Paul is saying there is, is this can happen to the church. This, this, whatever, whatever is there in a small amount here with this one man who is committing sexual immorality, it can spread to the whole church. Now, what had happened in the in the course of of Jewish history is that the whole idea of leaven had come to symbolize sin and impurity. It's a part of the Passover festival, the Passover uh, celebration that they had as the basically it was the understanding of this is the beginning of the Israel nation. God sent a, a final plague on on their captors, on the Egyptians, where, where a, an angel, a destroying angel, came over the nation of Egypt and killed the firstborn son in every house except for the Israelite houses where the blood of the lamb was over the doorpost. And so they ate that meal with unleavened bread because they didn't have time for it to rise. So they just ate flatbread. They ate pita bread. Because they were in a hurry. Well, over time, that that leavening came to symbolize sin and impurity. And so Paul, every place where you see leavening there is the idea of sin and impurity. And look what he says. He says, that that little leaven, that is that little bit of sin, that little bit of sin and impurity from that that man who is in an incestuous relationship, that can spread to the entire church if you don't deal with it. So there's one good reason, another good reason to care for the church, to care about putting this man out because if we don't it's going to spread to the entire church but next thing he says is cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened." that is in jesus christ god already made you pure one of the very first things that paul says in the letter of first corinthians he says he calls them saints that is you are holy ones He says that you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That is, you were set apart as a holy and pure people. Now that you have been set apart, as you really are a holy and pure people, now live as a holy and pure people. That's what you really are. God made you that way. God in Jesus Christ made you a pure and holy people. Now live as a pure and holy people. Then he says in verse 7, Middle of the verse, he says, for Christ, that, this is the reason. This is the reason why we must strive for purity. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying there, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the one who died in our place. In the Passover, in the in the Old Testament festival, it was it was the, the lamb was sacrificed, and it was put over the doorpost, and it was there, it was there to free them from slavery and to keep them from death. Well, that's where we were. We were enslaved to sin. All of us were enslaved to sin and destined for death. But Jesus Christ came and died in our place. He died for our sins, he died to make us a pure and holy people. He died to make us holy in his sight. That's what Jesus Christ did for sinners like you and me. That's what he did for everyone who had turned from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. He made us his people. He made us pure. Though we were impure in many ways. Though we were sinful. Though we were corrupt. Though we had disobeyed God's commands. In Jesus Christ. In our Passover lamb. We are made a holy people before God. So now. How do you celebrate that? You don't celebrate it with sexual immorality. You don't celebrate it by continuing in sin. Instead, you celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins by doing away with that sin and that impurity. He says, by by removing the leaven of malice and evil and replacing it with the unleavened, that is, the the pure bread of sincerity and truth. He sincerely and truly follow God's commands, sincerely and truly obey Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not die for our sins so that we would continue in sin. He died for our sins so that we might be forgiven of our sins, and that the power of sin might be broken in our lives so that we might live as a pure people before him. And so now, having been made alive with him, as having been made pure in him, let us live as a pure people. That's how we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross. By living for him, by living as, as a pure people. Now then, if you'll look at verses 9 through 11, Paul has said these things, but now he needs, the, there, there is the clarification that needs to be made. The clarification. Look at verses 9 through 11. says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, evidently, Paul had had written a letter to them before now. Jesus and the apostles all wrote and said things that are not recorded for us. And those things carried the, the power of God's word, but they were not recorded for us in the scriptures. They were not recorded for us in, in the scriptures because God did not intend for us to have those. Whatever, what is preserved is what God intended to be preserved. And this word, the word of God, is sufficient for everything that we need for salvation and for a life of godliness. And so we have this letter here that we don't have, but Paul had written them before. And he said before, do not not associate with, do not not be in partnership with the sexually immoral. And he said, here's what I didn't mean. I didn't mean the sexually immoral of this world. I I didn't mean the greedy. I didn't mean the idolaters. I didn't mean the revilers. I didn't mean the drunkards or the swindlers. I didn't mean those outsiders who are outside the church. I didn't mean those in the world then you wouldn't be able to buy groceries you wouldn't be able to go to work you wouldn't be able to live in your neighborhood you wouldn't be you'd have to go out of the world to get away from the sexually immoral and the greedy and the swindlers in this world you you would not be able to live here anymore there's a kind of separation that god is calling us to but it's not a it's not a separation from the world in that way It's not deciding, hey, we're not going to go here because I don't don't know, maybe. that It's not not going off into a commune someplace and living by ourselves. It's not separating that way. Instead, he says, instead, if a man calls himself a brother, that is, this person calls himself a Christian, if they call themselves a Christian and live this way, then he says, do not even eat with such a one. Now, historically, traditionally, this is almost always meant at the very least that they would not take the Lord's Supper. Because among other things, the Lord's Supper is a picture of our unity together, our fellowship together in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it pictures that. And what would happen is, is that for this person, they would be excluded from the Lord's table. Something that that is a picture is a symbol of saying, listen. You're not one of us anymore. You are living in such an unchristian way. You are, you are so flagrantly breaking God's commands that we cannot, we cannot treat you like you're a Christian anymore. Some people still continue to think of themselves as Christians. But the message that the church needs to send is very clearly, if you're going to continue in unrepentant sin, we cannot continue to call you brother. We cannot continue to, to be to be responsible for calling you a Christian. Now then, it at least means exclusion from the Lord's Supper. It could also mean exclusion from the assembly. You know, I, I think I think in this case that the church has the power, has the authority to do whatever it needs to do to make it clear to this person for their sake so that they might be saved in the end. Make it clear to them that we do not consider you to be a Christian anymore we cannot call you a christian we can't call you brother and in some cases it may even require that we don't have dinner parties with these people anymore we we need to do what it, whatever whatever is necessary i think it's within the the bounds of the church sometimes it will mean exclusion from the lord's table maybe they still come and hear god's word maybe it means exclusion from the assembly maybe it means maybe it means that we really have to to take very very clear statements but whatever it, whatever it is we need to make it very clear you're not you're not we're not associated with you anymore. we don't call you brother anymore. we don't call you a Christian anymore and we're doing it so that they can come to know the Lord so that they can be done with sin. if we don't make it clear that we don't consider them to be a Christian then they're going to continue to think of themselves as a Christian and they're going to continue in sin and they will find out, in a very difficult way, that since the church was not willing to say it to them, that they were not a Christian, Jesus Christ himself might say to them, you're not, I I never knew you. So we want to prevent that. We want to love people enough to make it clear. So we see, we see this clarification. There needs to be a distinction. And notice this before we move on. Notice that we are especially careful to distinguish the church from those other people who are continuing in unrepentant sin, who are also calling themselves Christians. The, that, that's especially the way that we distinguish ourselves. Not everybody, and I hope you understand this if you're if you're not a Christian here. I hope you realize that not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. That way, that way, the church does not get a uh, a bad name. That way, Jesus Christ does not get a bad name. The church needs to be careful about who it labels as a Christian, who it labels as a brother, because we all we all take something from that. Finally, there is the authority where what what kind of authority does the church have? So look at verses 12 and 13 it says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you were to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul says I, we're. We're not judges on society. That is, we do not have the power to to execute judgment on anyone outside of the church. Paul, an apostle himself, does not have that power. And I think sometimes the church has become confused about that. It, it It has become much more concerned with the purity on the outside of the church than the purity inside the church. But what did Jesus say? You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it for except to be thrown out? We need to be most concerned with the purity inside the church. Certainly, we are warning the world about, about immorality that is out there. But we're most concerned with purity in the church. He says, he says the church, God judges those outside, but, but we have authority to judge those inside the church. You know, this is the basis for what we call church membership. Church membership is not a a term that is found in the scriptures, but here is the concept. There is an identifiable body of people who are insiders. And think about it this way. Here is a person who is being formally removed from being among the people. They are formally removed from the church. How can you formally remove somebody from the church if you have not formally recognized them as being a part of the church? And so one of the reasons why we practice what we call church membership, we could call it insidership or something, but that kind of sounds strange, okay? One of the reasons why we practice church membership is because we need to recognize who is a part of the church in order to disciple those who are within the church. And I I want you to recognize that if you are delaying church membership, that you you are restraining the church from discipling you as well as they might. And you're only, you kind of have this, you have something dangling out there where you could really end up ruining yourself. Because the church can't do anything to help you. They can't do anything to heal you because you're not willing to come and be a part of the church. And so we we have that, we have the the idea of being a part of the church. And then we see there that the final command is, and it's the command from from the Old Testament. It's a a phrase that's found often in the book of Deuteronomy. Purge the evil person from among you. In the Old Testament, the Israel was pictured as a holy people. They were intended to be a holy and pure people. And now Paul takes this, takes this that was applied to Israel in the Old Testament and applies it to the church now. And he says, you need to be a holy and pure people. Remove the evil person from among you. You know, as Christians, it requires us to talk about uncomfortable subjects. Some people knew that I was preaching about 1 Corinthians 5 today and it made them uncomfortable. Okay? But well, we talk about uncomfortable things because we love people. We have difficult conversations with people because we love them. We're willing to go to a brother who is in a pattern of sin and we're willing to rebuke him. We're really willing to correct him because we love him. We've got to be willing to love one another that way. The world may not recognize that as love. It may be offensive to the world's sensibilities. It may be offensive to our sensibilities. But in obedience to God's commands, we hold one another accountable. And we're willing to discipline one another because we love them. We want to see them saved. This is how we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. By being willing to love one another enough to speak hard things to one another and love them to keep them all the way to the end all the way to the return of Jesus Christ so that their spirit may be saved on the day of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ returns it would be better for us to for us to watch over one another now and to sometimes seem say do painful things than to have anyone lost on the day when Jesus Christ returns so let's be faithful Let's love one another the way that God has told us to love one another. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this uh, difficult chapter of the Bible, of your word, that you have set it, it out so clearly for us that, that Jesus Christ is with us to watch out for one another and to discipline one another and hold one another accountable so that all of us will be saved on the day of Jesus Christ. Please grant for those who are are delaying belonging to the church, for those who are holding back, for those who are skeptical of authority and skeptical of, of accountability, that you would convince them in their hearts that this is something that needs to be taken care of. And that you would strengthen all of us so that in the day when this happens in our church when it has to be dealt with we would be ready to deal with it for your for your glory for the good of those who are disciplined and for the purity of those of your church in jesus name we pray amen